Mini episode 1100 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode number 1100. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here today, and this is a very, very, very special segment that we have for you. It is our second annual Don Coster Memorial Tribute. It's the preview for the 2019 MLB season. And uh, our good friend Don Coster, we had uh, decreed this uh, toward the end of 2017 when he passed away, that subsequently we will start every baseball season with a tribute to him. And uh, for that purpose today, uh, we have... Uh, his old uh, friend and brother-in-law and broadcast colleague Ken Detweiler and also our good friend Steve Callis, two of our very finest FDH Lounge dignitaries. And for anybody that had tuned in last year and uh, for anybody that would like to know a little bit more about the background of this and why we're doing the segment in this way and as a tribute, I will refer you to mini-episode number 961 when we kind of broke it down and went through the history of it. Uh, Don Coster, my fellow sidekick on the old show, Life's a Pitch with Ken Detweiler on the Sports Talk Network circa, I believe, 2004 to 2006. And uh, back in the day, uh, Don and I got to know each other uh, and uh, did a lot of broadcasts together with Ken as his sidekicks. And uh, the three of us had a great time together, talked a lot of great baseball together. And uh, the, way, the reason we're doing this as a three-man segment is uh, Steve Callis, again, somebody who fits very well in the mold, who has done some great segments here on the FDH Lounge with Ken Detweiler, that I think it's a great tribute to Don to do it as a three-man booth because uh, that was how the three of us really shined together back in the time and, and just really, really killed it so many times together with the knowledge and the chemistry in that group. And so I'm going to start, as I did last year, by turning to uh, my good friend Ken Detweiler and uh, just to kind of talk about Don a little bit here and put it out. And it's, it's a thing where, and, and again, I, this is something that I referenced last year, and I've had a little bit more time to think about this, and that uh, to Don's wife, and I mentioned uh, at, at the wake, and she seemed kind of surprised when I was kind of putting him over as strongly uh, as I was as, as a broadcaster. It's one of these things where... I think this is the beauty, Ken, of new media, of where you can take people, again, Don, like myself, a graduate of the Harvard on the Hawking, got that great uh, script school diploma, but uh, not somebody that went and spent a career behind the mic. And uh, so this was, this was later in life that he went to go kind of do this. And I think for people of that generation, and probably his wife and other people, you kind of tend to think that, okay, you probably need a lot of training to do this kind of stuff, to be good and everything like that. But the beauty of new media is you take a guy like Don, who a, a diamond in the rough uh, certainly applies to him, because for a guy who was just able to come in there, uh, again, having been out of the, uh, the broadcast uh, biz uh, for, for so, so long, to just come in there, flip a switch, and be himself, I think that's the key to kind of understanding why he was as great as he was. That with new media, 
if you're talking to somebody, if there's somebody you know who's smart and entertaining, it's going to translate. There's nothing more to it. There's no real barriers anymore to that kind of a thing. If you're smart and funny in real life, you're smart and funny on the air. And I think we now have that understanding that previous generations kind of didn't as far as how that went. And, and he just, again, talk about this, talk about the man and why he translated as well as he did, because he could make you laugh. He just had that sort of gruff delivery to him that I just, it, it made me chuckle every time I was ever around him. But the depth of knowledge, the passion that he had, uh, help me paint the picture a little bit here of, of the man, Ken, because you knew him a lot longer and a lot better than I did. Well, you, you described him pretty well to the T. I, I think we're going to have to adopt you into the family, Rick. Um, That's fine just, with me. Uh, you know, it's uh, the burden I had, Steve, and you probably know this, and everybody out there listening is, you had an Akron Zip surrounded by two <laughs> OU Bobcats. <laughs> no, one should, no one should have to have that burden. That's right, uh, baby. <laughs> but but I, 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 I weathered it. And I'm still standing. So, there you go. Uh, but uh, Don was a curmudgeon. Yes. Uh, as you kind of described him, we're using different words here. However, um, what an intelligent man he was. Yes. And uh, and well-versed. He always read and always... He was the kind of guy, and maybe we all know somebody like this. He could have been on Jeopardy and won many, many times over had he wanted to pursue something like that. and didn't have stage fright, perhaps. Um, but the knowledge that he had, whenever we had a question, the family had a question, we would call Don. And if Mame answered the phone, we would say, hey, I, I can tell you one thing, and this is for the older people in the group uh, that's listening, Topo Gijo um, used to be an act on TV back in the day when it was black and white TV and there was only like three channels. And Don knew right away who he was. My wife argued there was no such thing. I'd made up the name. And as soon as Don <laughs> confirmed it, you knew it was gospel. And, uh, end of, you know, and then I started around for about two minutes and then got brought back down to earth. But uh, Don was just, I, I had no idea until the end of it. I did and I didn't have an idea, Rick and Steve, that um, his passion for our show was as good as it was. Yes. As as intense as it was. He would ask me from time to time, are we going to do this again? Are we going to get back together? And I just didn't have it in me or didn't know how to go about it. Whatever the case may be, I feel I let him down to some extent. But um, I didn't realize until he was, you know, towards the end there. And it just brought me to tears about how much he enjoyed this time that we had together, Rick. Yeah, and um, and again, going back to his knowledge, whatever side or whatever topic, Steve, you would pick, he would just go ahead and have the knowledge on the other end. I don't know if he had that off the cuff or he did his research or both, and he did it intelligently, uh, and he made you think, like, well, maybe that, maybe I'm looking at this wrong, you know, and so. You love people like that who would challenge you, especially in today's climate here in, the, in our country. God forbid you have a different opinion. Right. Um, well, Don would be a dinosaur in this, in this environment uh, because that's all he ever did, it seemed, was have a difference of opinion. But a heart of gold would do anything for you, even if he didn't know you. 
he would do that for you, um, despite all his pain and stuff he had through his last years. Yes. So, yes. God bless him. God bless you, Rex, for and Steve for um, helping you uh, say this, put this together in his name. So. Well, thank you, thank and you, I'll, t- you. I'll tell you what, and I, I, I you know, as, as as much as again, and you know, I, I, I don't really like to wear my heart on my sleeve on this show, but I will when I say this, and that I share some of the same regrets. I think I alluded to that last year. We had talked about getting together with him to do segments like this. And, and we just we didn't get around to it. Again, in, in our defense, we're busy guys. We got a lot going on, and we we frequently need to be reminded. I think that tomorrow is not guaranteed to any of us. And and we always just thought we'd have more time to do that with Don. I would like to think that uh, we're uh, making it up to him uh, sufficiently by doing these shows here. I'd like to think that, anyways. Uh, but I I know where you're coming from on that, and maybe people can take a lesson from us, that if you're saying you want to get around to doing something with somebody, make sure that you do it. Don't just talk about it, because we fully intended to, and if we had enough time, I'm sure we would have. We just didn't have enough time, and uh, that's the way that that went. And it just, again, it just kind of hit me as well. It's so funny you talk about the kind of guy he was, an old-school kind of a guy as, as far as being a curmudgeon and the attitude and whatever, but like I said... In the intro to this, I think almost sort of like the poster child for new media, because in a day and age where there's no barrier to entry, you know, he came up in a time where if you weren't working full time in the broadcast biz, uh, you know, basically paying your wage from it, you weren't really going to get your voice out there toward the end of his life, somewhat towards the end of his life. Again, getting to do this, it was an opportunity for people to hear how great he really was. And that's the blessing of new media is that there's voices out there. There's no barrier to entry, and again, just a man who was a natural, and all he had to do was, and like you said, you know, how much of this did did he research on his own time, how much did he know off the top of his head, I guess we'll never know, but whether he had to work to be prepared, or he was just naturally prepared, it was just like flipping a switch whenever he showed up, and it was a blessing, uh, and an honor to work with the man, and uh, more importantly, to know the man. And, uh, again, I, I just send all my best to his uh, family and friends who I can only hope a year later, I, I can only hope it's, it's getting a little easier for them uh, with his uh, passing. It was only a couple months thereafter when we did the first show here. But, uh, Steve, yeah. I'm, I'm going to turn it to you the same way that I did last year. And just to say, I think it's really, really fitting because you clearly, you're the kind of guy he would have loved. We, we featured guests an awful lot on the show. We, we would have people on from different uh, – uh, spots in baseball, baseball media, whatever. If we'd ever done a segment with you, he would have loved having you on. He, he would have, you know, remarked going into commercial break how much uh, he enjoyed doing a segment with you. So, uh, who better to be the third man in the booth for a show like this? Well, I, 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 I wouldn't deign to think that I would actually replace Don Coster. I'm just honored that you guys invited me. I know you'd like to have a three-man booth in essence, in honor of him. So all I've heard about him, obviously, from you guys is nothing but fantastic. But I like the curmudgeon part. I like the knowledge part. <laughs> you guys probably know I'm about knowledge. So, again, I'm honored to be asked to be one of three. I'm happy to go whenever you guys are ready to go. Well, you know, again, and Ken and I both agreed on this uh, when, when I pitched it to Ken. Uh, he was very eager last year to have you uh, do this, and, and he felt that it would be very fitting. And again, uh, he knew Don better than I did and longer than I did. So, uh, yeah, for Ken to immediately agree with me on that says an awful lot. Uh, and I will say this, as we start to pivot to the actual baseball, gentlemen, how fitting this is on two levels. Number one, 
I like to have some kind of a special segment for whenever we do our milestone shows. 1100, uh, it's, it's not quite on the uh, same level as 1000, but 1100 is still a big one. It's a round number. 1100 is an important number. And of course, Ken, as you and I well know, the longtime frequency on AM for the Cleveland Indians, uh, outside of a handful of years, I think in the late 90s, it's been their home for decades. So uh, 1100, how many times, Ken, was Don probably listening to the Indians on 1100 over the years, and now mini episode 1100 is in his honor? I like to think that's fitting. Nice. I hadn't put that together. Again, that's why we have you and Steve, because (laughs) you're a whole lot smarter than I am. I could have been a thousand and never put that together. And so, but very good. Snaps up. You you continue to work this dumb country boy Charlie Manuel shtick an awful lot here, and that's what I love. That's what I appreciate about you, Mister Detweiler. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, if you say so, you know. <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe it's Charlie Manuel doing your act. I don't know, but it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's right. That's right. It could it be. Like the fox sometimes. Yeah. But. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg here, basically. But uh, yeah. you know, on the uh, on the actual baseball stuff that uh, Don, I'm sure from up on high, is hollering at us to uh, get on with right now. Uh, so I will I will act as though I can actually hear him and uh, defer to him in that way as as far as the baseball goes. I'll uh, I'll start with you, Steve, and looking at this. Just before we get into the American League or the National League, just sort of a big picture look at the off season. And to me, the story of it was, you know, not necessarily a tale of two cities, but if you look at the baseball player population and the available free agents, uh, while it's not a literal geographical tale of two cities, it sort of is the haves and the have-nots. We've seen the logjam break in recent months here with Harper and Machado finally getting off the market. That then sets the market in recent days for Mike Trout's extension, so... The, the, the big guys are always going to get paid because in this day and age of uh, overweening analytics, and it, it's hard to believe we need analytics to tell you don't pay uh, Albert Pujols a million gazillion dollars at his age uh, because who didn't know that was a bad idea for the Angels back then and who didn't know it was a bad deal for the Tigers with Miguel Cabrera when they did it. But now analytics is, is making teams very cautious on this kind of stuff. The big cats are always going to eat. Everybody else, the Dallas Cutchels of the world, uh, you know, Cy Young's be damned, I guess, still out there on the market. So interesting that we have sort of a repeat of the last off season when so many people thought it was going to be different this year with Harper and Machado. I think Harper and Machado sort of exacerbated it because until the market got set by them, some of these other things weren't going to shake out. So to me, Steve, it almost worked out kind of opposite of what people thought. Well, I think you're right. I mean, the best players are always going to get the wacky money. Now, Trout is so much better to me than whoever number two is. And, you know, maybe Mookie Betts is number two. But I think so. Um, analytics aside, I think this is more about a general view, and I don't think you needed analytics to figure this out, that you really can't pay these guys on past performance when they're getting into their early to mid-30s. Now, you're obviously giving up money on the back end to certainly Harper for 13 years, and probably Trout, although Trout to me has a better chance to last than Harper does just from a talent level and a physical specimen level. But I think what you're seeing now still with these guys, and Dallas Keuchel is a good example, um, the Cy Young Award is far in the past. 
He's not getting paid forward-looking for his Cy Young award. You know, the Yankees just signed Gio Gonzalez to a minor league deal, and that's pretty incredible. I know we'll talk about the Yankees. They're already in trouble pitching-wise. But to see guys like this, same as last year, not, you're right, not the Harpers and the Machados, but to see guys, good players, not great players, but good players, uh, analytics now, I think, break it down much clearer. We all had an idea that Cabrera wasn't going to be really good in seven years, or Pujols wasn't going to be really good in six years. Um, even a guy like C.C. Sabathia, who got a, a crazy at the time contract from the Yankees, and everyone says, oh, it was worth it because the first year he was here, they won the you know, championship in 2009. Well, you know, the Yankees have spent all that money the year before to Shinaro. They spent a ton of money, and they've won one World Series in what now, 18 years? So I think people are just looking forward as opposed to the past. And plus, everybody wants to get people on the cheap. Another thing we'll talk about today is how they're keeping a lot of these really good rookies down so they can get another year on the back end. You know, that wacky rule where if you yep. keep them down for like a month at the beginning or whatever the timing is, you get them for another year on the back end. Now, on the one hand, that's good business. On the other hand, to me, you're, uh, you know, you're really upsetting a potential superstar young player. We're going to hear someday after six or seven years, the guy's going to go, yeah, I want to stay here, but they made me wait an extra year, so I'm leaving, or something like that. Maybe it'll never be out outwardly said like that, but that's going to happen. So I think the big picture is, yes, as you said, the big guys still get paid. Although there aren't many big guys, nobody's going ahead of Trout. Mookie Betts is not getting a better contract than Trout. He'll be in the Harper Machado a little better than them range, in my opinion. But it's going to be a long time before we see a baseball player who everyone's going to agree is like Trout because he's one in a million to me. So mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. But I think the basic premise, analytical or not, is we're no longer paying you for your past. We're paying you for your future. And that immediately changes the way you look at, frankly, all of these players. I agree, and I'll tell you what, yeah. I, what you said as far as how it affects uh, the whole service time argument there, I go back to when the Cubs set, uh, sent down Chris Bryant, and he didn't like it. And I remember thinking to myself, the clock is ticking. This guy is going to be coming up on his arbitration and free agency years before you know it, and he's going to remember this. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Indians have always done that an awful lot, of just roll over players for whatever they can, and then I, I've always felt like, uh, you know, yeah, that's that's going to hurt you on the back end because then any chance of trying to make a deal later on, I think, is probably going to be diminished by that. So, in turning to you, Ken, and looking at the off season here, just the big picture of yeah. how it played out, a, a really weird market, but again, in a lot of ways similar to the off season market of 2017, 2018. What what are your thoughts on how it all played out? Well, this is what I enjoy about you and Steve, um, because. There are things that I listen and hear and absorb. Again, dialogue is is key for me. Uh, I look at it through these, as you used to say, Rick, sometimes with rose-tinted glasses. Um, <laughs> this time it's not so much rose, more business glasses. I looked at the entitlement that these players and the union, they, to the extent where they were rumblings by certain guys like Verlander and some of these guys, uh, by gave credit where credit still do there, however with Verlander, but it's they were talking about going out on strike at one point. Yeah. Just whispers here and there. I thought, why? Because you were overpriced yourself in the market? The market is not there for you anymore. 
just like there aren't big cars like they used to have way back when, you know, that were a mile long and a mile wide. Um, there are gas hogs. It's, um, players, I'm telling you, things have changed, and you need to change with them. You can stomp your feet and threaten strikes or this or that. Uh, nobody likes this, I don't think, uh, except the owners, perhaps. But I would think the owners would want their teams in camp right now. Uh, and I, I don't know the numbers that are still out there. Good ball players, like you mentioned, Steve, that sits on Ed Rick. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a couple yourself. So I've been looking at that. Maybe they need to think of what Trevor Bauer's trying to do. Uh, that's the other straight. Instead of giving 12-year contracts to like guys like Pujols, or not that many years, but um, uh, with the Machado and all these guys, Harper, it's just perhaps one year at a time like they used to do. Uh, and then they would fight you for it back in the olden days. Uh, the GMs would knock you down. Gabe Paul, I remember, would knock these guys down when it came to negotiations, stuff like that. But uh, so that's how I look at it. I'm rambling, I'm sure. But I just look at it from a perspective. The, the market isn't there, guys. You know, that's true. It up. You're going to you have to do something different. The market's not there, although, again, as we've seen with uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, the danger to the approach of going to arbitration repeatedly as he is is that you're going to have uh, the Indians doing things like, uh, well, Your Honor, Trevor uh, Bauer has been owned to white bags of poop on the, uh, the uh, and porches of his neighbors. You know, I mean, you get into the Indians trying to say things that drive down his value, which doesn't seem to do much yeah, for team cohesion. Yeah, that's thing wrong with baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's it's a weird system. Well, I'll tell you what, before we move on, I just want to throw this out there, see if you guys agree on this. To me, and, and again, I've always felt that it was oversimplification to say that the game is clean because I'm sure there are at least some players on some kind of designer roids, HGH, the things that they're not testing for. But by and large, relative to where it was turn of the century and a little before and a little after, it is clean. By and large, they've taken the roids out of it. My theory is that that has hurt the players in terms of performance and payment worse than anything. Because now there's no such thing as a second prime in your 30s. We're back to the normal growth curve of a career. And it is now predictable yeah. instead of that. It used to be, I remember these goofy sports writers, you know, like like around 98, you know, like, oh, this is amazing. Players are having a second prime in their late 30s. Science is wonderful. I, I, remember, I remember reading it like, what the hell are you idiots smoking? Can't you see what this is? But but now that that's gone, I mean, that's my theory. I'll start with you, Steve. Agree or disagree? Well, I, I, I think that's a good theory. Um, I wanted to go back quickly to what Ken was talking about because lost in all of this, and it doesn't seem anyone really cares anymore, is the fan who, you know, when I was a little kid, we went to the bleachers, my father and I, we went to Yankee Stadium 35, 40 times a year. It was like a buck, a buck and a half to get in. No exaggeration. And... My father worked in the post office. You know, he had season tickets to the New York Rangers, for example. And, and and those seats were three bucks in the old garden. Now, when you go, I mean, I, I, take, I, I took my kids when they were growing up. We tried to go twice a year because it was, like, really a big deal, absurdly expensive family of four. They print the, uh, you know, they print how much it costs every year and how much it goes up. So... You know, I know, for example, Joe DiMaggio got booed in Yankee Stadium, my father told me, when he held out one year. I know that, that um, 
I think it was Branch Rickey, in fact, before he was with the Dodgers, after Ralph Kiner led the league in home runs in the 40s, and he asked for a $10,000 raise, and Branch Rickey wanted to cut, cut his salary. He said, look, we came in last with you, we can come in last without you. And, huh. and, and that kind of thought is creeping in, but at such a higher level now, it doesn't even make sense to me. Like, like do you say Harper $330 million was stupid money, as the Phillies owner said, or is Trout $420 million? You guys are right. All the players are going, oh, he deserves every penny of it. Well, yes and no. Is he worth more than anybody? Absolutely. But at one point, think of what it was. Drysdale and Koufax held out so they could both get 100000 each in the 60s. That's almost uh, comical. In fact, it is comical now. I mean, is it something like mm, Trout's going to get 220000 a game or something? I mean, it's, it's just it's beyond stupid money. We can't fathom what it is. But having said that, I think you're right in terms of the steroids era. Yes, how, how come hardly anybody ever had a second? <laughs> Once in a blue moon, I guess. Maybe some people, Johnny Mize came to the Yankees. I'm going way back now, my father telling me, you know, and revived his career. But very rarely did you see... Barry Bonds, a star, all-star Hall of Famer, become Babe Ruth. I mean, that just never happened. And I can tell you specifically, I'm Mark McGuire. I went with my kids to a, a, a Met Cardinal doubleheader the year he hit whatever he hit, 70, whatever he hit. I, I don't even remember because to me, Maris is still the home run king. But um, yes. we went to batting practice, and they have those Pepsi stands out in left field that, you know, beyond the left field fence at Chase Stadium. And I watched Mark McGuire hit nine balls over the Pepsi stands in a row. And I remember oh. thinking this is like this guy's hitting at a little league field because he was hitting it was like he was hitting on a little league field. Right. So you're right, Rick, it was... People didn't want to believe it. Uh, what's his name? Mike Lupica wrote a bestseller on the great 98 season. <laughs> and then it all blew up. And everybody, you always saw weird things and you go, can that really be? Can that really be? And the answer was no. But coming back to your point, Rick, it's really become now the reality of it all. And I'll say this forever in every sport. Bigger, faster, stronger, if you come out for the seventh inning, you're like a hero now. In fact, the analytics guys won't let you come out for the seventh inning anymore because you've been through the lineup twice. That's right. And, and you play 162 games in the year, that's like laughable. Nobody does that. Right. So I, I've never understood, and this is in all sports, but especially in baseball, specifically with pitchers, um, bigger, faster, stronger, nutrition's better, you got access to everything. I'm not talking about steroids now. And, you know, nobody's going to throw 200 innings soon. Right. We got 300 or 350. So it's really interesting to me. I understand everything's specialized, but what? It wasn't hard to get the thir the last three outs in a baseball game in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Now it's the biggest, most difficult thing in the history of the world. Right. I, I Again, this is the, the, another old guy just complaining, Ken, but... Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. I, no, I think to Rick's point that he's right, and I do agree with him. You've had people come back to the norm, no drugs, or very limited, very few. I think Rick is right. There's probably some guys doing it. They probably already let some guys into the Hall of Fame who are on steroids, whether they know it or not. You know, these guys will say, oh, oh, he never failed a uh, drug test, so I'm going to vote for him. Come on. Right. You didn't have to fail. Yeah. Barry Bonds never failed. Go read Game of Shadows. Right. Read the paperback edition, because it's the greatest researched sports book I've ever read in my life. And if you read that book and think he didn't do steroids, then you're an idiot. You know, you don't want to believe it. And, I, and Bonds was a Hall of Famer long before he ever took a steroid. 
three three MVPs is automatic entry into the Hall of Fame. So I don't want to go on too long, but I do agree with what Rick said. But to me, the actual numbers are unfathomable to a guy who can remember Koufax and Drysdale, you know, holding out for a hundred thousand each. Who can, who can remember my father telling me when I was a little kid, yeah, Joe DiMaggio wanted 45000 instead of forty. They booed him at the stadium because he was such an ingrate. And that was suddenly flipped where if the guy has a bad year in arbitration, he's going to make $12 million instead of $16 million. It's crazy to me, but I think the fan has been hurt. And I'll just point to, you know, the absurd amount for parking or a hot dog or a bottle of water or a beer. Uh, and you just shake your head because my kids did not have, literally couldn't afford to go see what I saw and never even gave a second thought to, as long as you were willing to sit in the field bleachers, which, by the way, is a great place to watch a baseball game. Right. And by the way, uh, as far as what you were saying, I'm, I'm going to connect the price uh, of, of things right now to what you said previously about Koufax and Drysdale. I mean, not to go all Austrian economics on you guys, but you've had in between those times, the 1970s, when Nixon, Ford, and Carter turned us into sort of a mini Weimar Republic. I mean, everything costs multiples of what it cost back in like the 60s. So there's a little bit of apples and oranges here, but I do agree baseball inflation has grown much faster than even our regular uh, American inflation. That part's true. Ken, I'll turn to you on this. Thoughts on my thesis yep. that uh, the steroid era uh, coming to the, the halt that it has, at least on a major scale, that that's one of the big things, if not the big thing, depressing player salaries? Again, one of the reasons I love doing this show with you, Rick, and why we're friends, is you do bring up a different point of view. I hadn't even thought of that. And, but yet, as you were explaining it, I was thinking, you know, when you get in your 40s as a ball player and late 30s, you don't break the home run record. Right. <laughs> and I, that was the thought that went right through my mind. I'm like, yes, now we have something that has been the same and predictable because we are humans and we peak at a certain time and we degenerate at, at a different time. And it's just, yeah, I mean, what a great thought. Um, and to go back to Steve, Steve, I'm going to be that other old man to say to get off my lawn. I'll back up be your neighbor when I say this, but I remember my dad taking, or another dad would take a group of us kids in Little League up to watch the Indians play a doubleheader for a buck ahead, and we had picnic baskets that our moms put together for everybody, and we just sat up there with a deck of cards and binoculars, and sat there all blessed day and watched two games, so. Yeah. Yeah, something you wouldn't be doing uh, these days, no question about it. No. No, no. question. And then, and then lastly, to go along with what you brought up, Rick, uh, and Steve said so eloquently, is the part I don't get about all these writers and stuff, you know, now, instead of putting a blind eye to these people, now they stand in, in judgment of them. Are they going to let them into the Hall of Fame or not? Yeah. And that remains uh, the ongoing debate uh, that is out there among so many. So uh, in looking at actually uh, on the field right now, uh, I'll start with you, Steve. And uh, so we're about a half hour in at this point. So I think we're, we're going to take each league sort of in one big kind of a chunk here. We'll start with the American League 
where there is uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of sameness, apparently, to where we ended the season. Because it sure looks like four of the same five teams are going to be in the playoffs here. Question as to whether the Yankees or Boston will win the East. I have it being the Yankees by a tiny margin, but uh, that could clearly go either way. Four of the five teams you can probably pencil in right now. Uh, the Indians are very blessed to be in very possibly the worst division in any of the big four sports in North America. The AL Central was certainly the worst division in big four sports in 2018, and uh, the Indians' glass jaw going into the playoffs really showed itself when they faced real competition. So it uh, could be more... Yeah, it could be more of the same there. I, I've got Minnesota as the wild card team joining them in here, but uh, again, it just looks like it's going to be the same kind of oligarchs, I would think, in the American League in whatever order. Uh, none of the teams really did anything to beef up. The Indians probably took the biggest collective steps backwards, but once again, big margin of error in that dump of a division. Uh, but uh, Houston seemed to about stay pat with where they were, more or less, uh, adding a little bit here and there. Uh, Brantley, among others, uh, if he can stay healthy. The Yankees and Boston still have holes, but uh, the big four, Steve, it seems to me still tower far beyond anyone else. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It's It's frankly kind of lopsided i actually have the red sox believe it or not finishing ahead of the yankees because the yankees pitching to me is still they've got the greatest bullpen maybe in the history of the world i understand that but they're starting pitching they're going into the season with severino as their race and already he's out for at least the first few weeks of the season and if you'll recall last year he was uh, an all-star first half and was terrible in the second half and then god bless cc sabathia it took him three years but he did finally make the conversion to from flamethrower to junk baller for lack of a better term but he's been adequate but he had forget his knee he had a heart procedure this year and you know i saw an interview with him the other day he feels great he's throwing he doesn't get tired anymore which is good to hear you know he said he got tired coming in from the bullpen to the mound which is a little scary uh not on a baseball level on a health level right um but i i think they've got look uh paxton's a good pitcher but do you walk into new york and do you become a really good pitcher or do you become i don't know Bunny Gray, just to pick one guy. Or Ed Whitson. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, you know, Tanaka, when he's on, he's awesome, but he's not always on. So Hap came in, pitched well, they re-signed him. But I think they have real problems. And again, the season hasn't started. They give Severino a $40 million extension, four years, $40 million. And literally two weeks later, he's out for three, four, five weeks. He just started throwing today after two weeks so he's a ways away. Um, they give Hicks a seven-year, $70 million contract, and two weeks later he doesn't get one but two cortisone shots in his lower back. So if you know anything about back stuff and you know anything about cortisone shots, you know that's a problem. He's not playing 150 games this year. Not that anybody else is. But it's very early in the year, but they are loaded. But because of that, very early in the year they haven't even started because of that i'm giving the edge to the red sox because finally price was able to pitch in the postseason for example i'm just picking one guy sale you know sale is always faded in september and a few times in october but he was hurt so much last year that he didn't have as many innings that's an issue uh but Ivaldi was the 
you know, was the find of the year and the Yankee killer. So I still think they have those, and they have Porcello, who could be a Cy Young winner or a 15-game loser. You don't know. But I think they're very, very good, and I do think they have the second-best baseball player in the world, and that is Mookie Betts. So the Yankees have an incredible lineup, don't get me wrong. The Red Sox have an incredible lineup, but I give the edge to the Yankees. You know, the Yankees broke the all-time record for home runs last year, and neither Judge nor Stanton nor Sanchez were really near what they hit the year before. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. pretty scary. But I've got the Yankees beating the Red Sox. The Red Sox is a wild card. Of course, Cleveland, you're right. I mean, when you look at who they lost, they traded Jan Gomes, and they let Andrew Miller leave, which if he's healthy, he's great, not good. Cody Allen, Brantley... Uh, Donaldson, not that they were going to give him one year, $23 million or whatever he got, uh, but they gave up a lot, and they literally didn't sign anybody, apparently. But I think with Kluber, Carrasco, and Bauer, and I think Bauer's the sleeper for the Cy Young Award. I don't know if you guys read that Sports Illustrated article. You should yep. try and find it. If you can. He, yep. he is, on the one hand, a lunatic, but he's made himself from an average athlete into a great pitcher. I think he wins the Cy Young this, this thing. But if you read the article... As you know then, Rick, if you read it, he's also like the biggest jerk who ever lived. But, <laughs> but, but, but the Indians, of course, are in the mix. The Astros, you know, I think they have a chance to beat everybody, frankly. Um, one more time, if Correa can come back. Uh, and out of, that, uh, out of that division, I'm going to pick the A's. Uh, because they won 97 games last year, and everyone's picking them to be just a, a, at or a little bit above 500. I just don't think they're that bad. I just don't think they've declined or lost that much. So I'm picking them, even though it's, you know, picking the chalk. Uh, I've got some surprises in the National League when we get to that. Um, but, you know, they have a very good team. They have a good uh, pitching staff, the athletics. They have the the best closer in uh, in the world, I think. And I think they might drop to the high 80s, but that's going to be enough. Maybe the mid-80s will be enough to get that second wild card. A lot of people like Tampa Bay. It's just hard for me to pick um, both, you know, both wild cards. It happens, but it's hard to pick both wild cards out of the same division for me. That's just me talking. Well, yeah, and, and it, it, it happens less in MLB. Uh, than certainly in the NFL, and it's not like it's very prevalent in the NFL either. So, uh, Ken, I'm going to turn to you on this. I'd be surprised if you differed uh, strongly with Steve and I because uh, those four teams, the chalk in the American League, uh, do seem to tower above everyone else like Godzilla. Well, I'm going to start off with what Steve just ended with, and that is I think there's going to be two wild-card teams out of the same division Okay. Uh, this year. And I think it's going to be the AL East. I, I've got the Red Sox. Um, I just think they're a better all-around club than the Yankees. Um, I think the Yankees, well, I'm just going to say, the Yankees pitching staff scares me. These guys are, look like they've got duct tape on them and they've got some twine wrapped around some of these arms. And sooner or later, I just think they're going to falter. Uh, my third team is... Uh, Baltimore? I mean, the Rays. Oh, I thought you were going to say Baltimore. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and when I look at the whole American League as a group, I see just five teams that really are a challenge. And there again, I disagree with Steve a little bit about the athletics. But um, uh, so anyway, I've got the, the Red Sox in first, the Yankees in second in the East, and the Rays in third, uh, with the Yankees and the, and the Rays being 
about to get ahead of myself here, but the two wild card teams. And the Central, it hurts me to say that the Indians should win this and will win this because uh, they have zero competition. And I think it could be the worst wreck of uh, the four major sports history, probably. Maybe. To have a, a weak division like this. I was going to just break in on you there as a fifth this year or an 18. Oh, these guys are awful. Yeah. Um, and in the AL West, what do you have? The Athletics, I agree with Steve, that they're going to be a good team. Yeah, but I think the Astros are going to win. That's my pick. But the Angels, the Mariners, the Rangers... Ugh. See the American Central, right? <laughs> you know, but uh, that's who I have. Um, and so you have the wild cards, and I have the uh, the Yankees and the Rays there. And then are we picking the also the ALCS? Go ahead. Or not? Go ahead. Um, yeah. I still have to go with the Red Sox over the Astros again. Okay, I'm going with uh, Houston over the Yankees in a repeat of uh, two years ago. Uh, Steve, what, what's your call out of the American League? I'm going the Astros over the Red Sox. I'm with uh, Ken. Okay, uh, by the way, uh, I would suggest that perhaps we rename the American Central uh, the Jimmy Breslin Division so we can hang the moniker above the division here. Can't anybody here play this game? Because... That that kind of sums up the central folks, and right. I, I like to think that's 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 one that would make Don chuckle. I would certainly hope. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah. that's that's where I'm setting my bar tonight. So uh, as we're taping this, so uh, as uh, as we turn to the National League, maybe not much more intrigue if you look at the National League West. Uh, the Dodgers seem to be the prohibitive favorites there. You've got a couple of candidates potentially to step up and be wild cards. Colorado, maybe San Diego, maybe. They've still got to show me uh, that their young hitting is going to materialize in time and that they're going to have enough pitching. San Diego looks like a year away, but they look like a team that's going to cause a lot of trouble in the National League in the early 2020s. You go to the, uh, the Central, and uh, again, four teams conceivably potentially in the mix. Uh, it, it, it's tough to say too much good about Pittsburgh where they're at because they seem to be treading water at best. But Cincinnati making a number of aggressive moves in the offseason, defending champion Milwaukee in there. The World Series champs from 16, the Cubs, uh, they've had two years in a row they consider to be disappointing, and yet they made the postseason both years. You know who's really been disappointing, especially by their standards in this century, has been St. Louis the last couple of years. But with Paul Goldschmidt, they look like they're back on the horse. I got St. Louis winning the division. Cubs as the wild card. And in the East, again, another four-team race right there. Uh, Miami, they're going to be fighting it out with Baltimore for the number one pick in the draft next year. But uh, above them, the Mets still don't like that lineup at all, but uh, the starting pitching is uh, really outstanding. Atlanta, I'm going to pick them for third. I think... They're going to follow the trajectory of Houston a couple of years ago and take a step back after making the playoffs the first year. The good news for Atlanta is I think Houston went on to win the World Series the next year. So uh, Atlanta, I just think, uh, may give back a little bit of the gains that they made, but I I still think they'll be way up there. I've got Philly winning the division, Washington as the other wild card. I think it's going to be a tight four-way race all year. Philly, another one of the teams that was really, really, really aggressive in the offseason. Harper was the biggest move, but they made some other ones as well. Washington still being fairly aggressive, even with letting Harper walk. 
So the, the National League, to me, uh, Steve, is uh, really, really, really fascinating. You, you've got almost all of the drama in baseball this year, aside from maybe the second AL wildcard uh, berth, and whoever wins the, the American League East between the Red Sox and the Yankees, because obviously now that matters. You want to stay out of the one-game playoff. But to me, Steve, the Lions' share of drama in baseball this year is confined to the NL East and the NL Central. Oh, I think there's no question, and you went through the teams pretty well. I have actually the same teams of you as you, but in a slightly different order. Okay. Uh, I actually think this is the Nationals' year. I don't know that it's the curse of Bryce Harper. I'm not saying it's addition by subtraction. Um, but it's, And I don't want to say he wore out his welcome there, but, you know, I remember him getting choked in the dugout and things of that nature. I know he's matured a lot since then. But um, they've got an unbelievable, young, excellent outfield without Bryce Harper. So their lineup is incredible to me. And they brought in Brian Dozier, who you recall hit like 38 home runs from Minnesota a couple of years ago when they made that run to the to the playoffs yep. that they shouldn't have made. I've picked him for a big comeback. They got Jan Gomes to be the catcher. I understand he's not great, but he's better than what they had. And Kurt Suzuki is a very good backup catcher. They brought in Matt Adams, who, you know, can close his eyes and hit home runs. I think the most important thing and the reason I picked them is because they gave Patrick Corbin $140 million a really tough left-hander, and he walks in as the number three starter beside, behind Scherzer, who's a Cy Young Award winner or candidate every year still. And the big mystery, and this will be the difference between winning the division and even making it to the World Series, is Strasburg. And Strasburg has not yeah. been healthy. Supposedly he's healthy this year. I know we hear that every year. But if they go Scherzer, Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, and the bottom of their starting rotation is Annabelle Sanchez and Jeremy Hellickson. Now, I understand those guys have been up and down, but they've been up in major leagues and done well. And those are your number four and five starters. So I think for the playoffs, they have an incredible three, if healthy. It's almost like at the end of everything in modern-day baseball, modern-day sports, you have to say – if healthy, uh, but especially for a guy like Steven Strasburg. So I think they kind of get over the hump. I mean, they have other guys I haven't even mentioned. People think Anthony Rendon is a better baseball player uh, than Bryce Harper. And, you know, Ryan Zimmerman, I mean, they have an incredible lineup. And on the bench, Michael Taylor and Matt Adams and Howie Kendrick. I mean, that's that's really good. So I'll say it this way. If those top three guys, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, stay healthy, not only do I think they're going to win the East, I've got the Phillies as the wild card, so I just flipped them on you, Rick. Okay. Um, I, I agree with your analysis of the Phillies, but um, I watched a lot of Phillies last year. You know, I still do a lot of stuff on the weekends. I go on Joe Stasek's show a lot, so I watch all the Philly teams, and I just don't quite think those younger pitchers, Nola's a stud. Arietta is not Arietta anymore. And when you get down to guys like uh, Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez, um, those guys are good, but you don't know how good they're going to be. Their ERAs are not good. And I'm just concerned, although, again, I'm picking them. Look, to me, the Mets have the best, best pitching staff and the best starters in baseball. I mean, it's scary. But I agree with you on their lineup. Plus, they're the Mets. They'll find a way. Atlanta really didn't improve. Atlanta was really good last year but they really didn't do anything while all these other teams are doing a lot. And again, well, Josh Donaldson, saying, I mean, that, that'll be an impact, I would think. Well, you 
You know, I'm just not sure. $23 million for one year. He wasn't good last year. He wasn't good the year before. Yes, Pretty good with the started. tribe, I'll tell you that. I, I wish he was still here. <laughs> oh, hey, MVP. Yeah. But um, I've got the Nationals with the Phillies in the wild card. I've got the Cardinals winning the Central with the Cubs. I'm kind of thinking the Brewers take a step back. Although I'm looking at the Cubs, you know, the question is, are they, you know, it gets late early out there. Are they getting too old, too fast? They have so many guys who have been injured. But, you know, Chris Bryant had a lot of problems last year. He got hit in the head and he had a shoulder injury. So he wasn't Chris Bryant. Um, so you have to see if these guys can come back. But I have the Cardinals winning, and, and, and here's one of the main reasons why. The Cardinals, yes, they got Goldschmidt, but, you know, he's only got one year left on his contract. So the Cardinals have Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt Ozuna, um, Wainwright, Adam Wainwright, and Waka. Those four guys are in the last year of their contract. So they're literally a win-this-year team yes. because you don't know who's going to be there next year. They also have Carlos Mart- Martinez who's coming back from the shoulder. He's unbelievable. If you get a chance to watch him pitch, watch him pitch. You know, they got a ton of good pitchers besides Wainwright and Walker. Right. So I think this is their year. Yeah, you're right. They've been, you know, down. But, you know, you put Goldschmidt in the middle of that lineup, Ozuna comes back, uh, Yadier Molina is still the best defensive catcher in baseball. Um, Carpenter was, you know, after that horrific start, he was unconscious for most of the year. So I've got them, and I've got the Cubs expecting these guys to play better and the pitchers to hang on for one more year. Um, and then I've got the Dodgers winning by default. I was looking at the Rockies. Uh, I just don't think they have enough. But the Dodgers, I give them no chance in the postseason. I don't know. I guess they had to give Kershaw three years, $93 million. Kershaw is not Kershaw anymore, and he's never been Kershaw. I'm a guy who said, I think Koufax is the greatest pitcher who ever lived. And I saw him pitch a lot when I was a little kid. You, you know, when the Mets were even in the polo grounds, not where, far from where I grew up with, but even when they were at Shea, my father took me, nobody went to see the Mets in the early 60s to see the Mets. Oh, no. My father was like, oh, you have no idea what it was like. I mean, the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Yankees was the greatest thing in the history of the world. So we'd go to see Mays. We'd go to see Marichal. We'd go to see Koufax and Drysdale. We'd go to see Maury Wills. Nobody would go to see Clemente. Nobody went to see the Mets. That's like, if you hear that, they had diehard fans early on, that was like a joke. They were horrific. They weren't bad. They were horrific. Now, the late 60s, they became the Miracle Mets. Fantastic. But these guys, I've said that Kershaw in the regular season has been like Sandy Koufax. That's blasphemy to a lot of people. And then I say, I think Koufax is the greatest pitcher who ever lived. But don't ever mention Koufax and Kershaw in the same name in the postseason. He's horrifically bad. Koufax had an under one ERA in the postseason. And he played for the, you recall, hitless Dodgers. So I think he's pretty much done. And now he's already got this issue early in the year. He's only averaged like 24, 25 starts a year the last three years. I guess they had to give it to him because he's Kershaw. But clearly he's getting paid for past performance. But since it was past performance for the Dodgers, I think you have to. It's kind of like an Eli Manning thing in football. (laughs) They're sticking with him because he won two Super Bowls, and he hasn't been good in four or five years. And and you can tell me it's the offensive line. I know this isn't football, but, you know, he got paid. He got his last contract was a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I doubt he'll be there after this year because this is the last year of his contract. So I don't know what they're thinking with Kershaw. If he's totally healthy, I think he's a good major league pitcher. 
but he's not Clayton Kershaw, and he never was in the postseason. Everybody loves him so much, and he's such a great guy that he pitches okay in the postseason. Oh, he's finally done, and he's over the hump. He's over the hump. And then he goes out for the next start and gets, you know, five, five earned in three innings or whatever. So... Um, I think the Dodgers are good enough, again, almost by default. I don't think the Rockies can beat them. I was thinking about picking them. But I think the Dodgers make it by default. I think they have no – I think their window has closed and maybe the Los Angeles Dodgers and their fans don't know that. That's just my opinion. So I've got – just because you went back to the American League, I've got the Astros, believe it or not, coming out of the American League. And I've got the Nationals coming out of the uh, – National League, and I've got the Astros coming back to two years ago uh, winning that World Series. Okay, well, here's here's what I got to say about that, because I'm going to say I got the Dodgers over the Phillies in the NLCS, and I got the Dodgers, which should sound familiar, those two teams in the NLCS. I got the Dodgers over the Astros in the World Series breaking through. I'm going to tell you this. I think Clayton Kershaw is still an all-star level pitcher, although not the pitcher of his generation anymore, and guess what? He only has to be the number two pitcher because Walker Bueller is happening now. Hey, that guy is going to be, this is going to be a year where he builds on what he did last year. A blue chipper coming up the same way Kershaw was. You heard it here first. Walker Bueller is going to dominate the National League. I think this is the year the Dodgers put it all together. So there's our picks. Ken, I'm going to turn to you. Break down the National League for us here as, as you see it, big picture, and uh, bring it around to your World Series picks. I will. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, we'll start off in the NL East. Uh, I, let me just let me present it a different way. Okay. As I was looking at this today and uh, thinking about what I was going to say and what we were going to talk about, I find four teams that really intrigue me in the National League. And so that's how I'm going to approach it. I find the Mets with Mickey Callaway and that pitching, Steve, that you mentioned, just the, and some of the young kids, that are, the team they're putting together, I just think they're going to be extremely fun to watch this year. Um, and I think quietly the Marlins are putting together a team uh, of unknowns for the most part. So those two teams are two of the four. The Reds, they've, re- they've got a new face on their team. What's going to happen? I'm very curious to see that. And, of course, the Padres. Some things that they do, I just scratch my head. So I'm interested in seeing what they have. As far as the Diamondbacks, Giants, and Pirates, yeah, crickets, yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, and then that brings us into these teams that can win the leagues. In the East, again, I've got the Nationals, the Braves, and the Phillies um, in that order. Okay. Uh, the team that's also curious to me, guys, is the Phillies, simply because I don't, I'm like you, Steve, I do Something doesn't sit right, you know. It's like you had a, a nice dinner, but then all of a sudden you go, "Well, wait a minute here," you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. It's just I, I know they're spending money. I know they've got this and that, but it just doesn't feel right. The Braves, I like what they've done, and uh, I still don't think they're there. And again, uh, it's like Steve and I talked before we came get in, on the air here tonight. The Nationals have an awesome team, top to bottom. They really do. And so that's the East. I have Nationals first, Braves second, and Phillies third. Okay. Yada, yada. Central, I've got the Cubbies winning it. And part of this is uh, with my heart and let's add a little bit, with, and quite a bit with what I see. But I want to see that Cubs team, as much as it hurts me to say this, Rick, to get 
into the World Series again. Okay. And um, because I like Bryant, I like Rizzo, you name it. These guys, Baez, these guys are phenomenal. And I just want to see that, see if they can get magic a second time here, maybe uh, more from the hard point of view. Mm-hmm. But the Cardinals, again, are your biggest team. Uh, the Cardinals are coming back. The Cardinals are the Cardinals. They've done what they had to do. They took a little bit longer this time because um, they've had a couple of dry years. But they're back. They really are. And the Brewers, I mean, last year in the playoffs, everybody just picked apart their flaws, and I don't see that they fixed many of them that they had. Mm-hmm. Yet they won. And um, so I've got them in third. I've got the Cubs first, Cardinals second Brewers third and the other guys yeah so much okay uh, for them the West I've got the Dodgers winning at the Rockies being a challenge the Padres I said earlier very curious about them the Diamondbacks the Giants you know see the American Central yeah <laughs> uh, I'll refer back to that again but uh, um, the Dodgers I think I gotta take it again um, from that division and what I have for two wild card teams, I've got the Cardinals and the Braves. Um, and then in the NLCS, I've got the Cubs over the Nets. And then for the World Series, I've got the Cubs winning. Again, my heart's speaking more than my eyes, I guess. But I've got the Cubs over the Red Sox in the World Series. Well, Cubs-Red Sox, that'll definitely uh, pop a rating, no question about that, uh, having those two teams in there. And, uh that, that that really is a lot to uh, behold as far as uh, if that uh, comes about. That, that'll be just what uh, Rob Manfred and MLB would have ordered, which uh, speaking of Rob Manfred, we had discussed this off here. Uh, just to put a bug in everybody's ear about this to be thinking about, we are going to reconvene this crew some point, I believe early in the season, and we'll compare and contrast what we're seeing this season with what we're going to see next season with some of the rules changes that are coming in in 2020. There are some radical things that have been talked about, some radical things that we know are going to be implemented for 2020 in an attempt to try to make the game more interesting. And again, it, it has dragged, I, I think. I mean, at the risk of sounding like one of these whiny millennials, I think there are things that they need to do to make the game more palatable outside of us hardcores into the mainstream. But are they going about it the right way? We will debate and discuss that at a point here in the near future. But uh, again, tonight was about taking a look ahead at this season and doing so in the spirit and a memory and as a tribute to our good friend Don Coster. And as I said last time when we did this, uh, the last mini-episode where we broke this all down Uh, The first annual Don Coster Memorial Tribute, mini-episode number 961. Check that out if you want to hear a little bit more about Don and a little bit more about our thoughts. That there were shows that were sort of like precursors to the FDH Lounge at the Sports Talk Network. Uh, Certainly Life's a Pitch with Ken Dotweiler was one of them. Certainly Sunday Night Submission, where I was one of the uh, the fifth Beatles on that show. That was kind of one of them. We had a couple shows there that had the spirit and the energy of it. The FDH Lounge is just different in the sense that we talk all subjects. Nothing is off topic. But the, the discussion we're having here tonight is completely interchangeable with what you would have heard on Life's a Pitch with Ken Detweiler. That's how great that show was. That's 
uh, how much you know this, it, it fed into the spirit and the energy of the FDH Lounge. So while Don Coster uh, did not uh, become an FDH Lounge dignitary, he was sort of one of those proto-dignitaries, Ken. Uh, the, the shows that helped lead to it. Certainly Reality Check with my good friends Ron Glasnap and Dave Adams, the first show I ever did at the Sports Talk Network. Uh, that show was uh, proto-FDH Lounge to its core, certainly. So, you know, very fitting for us to do this show here tonight with Steve in honor of Don because this is completely reminiscent of all the stuff we did on your show back in the day, Ken. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for the kind words. I just, uh, I find myself kind of like what we talked about earlier, you know, the older I get, and maybe this is just nostalgia here, but um, I really enjoy Steve, you, and Rick, and the fact that you include me with this because this is exhilarating. I learned from both of you and um, this is a great game to talk about and that's why we did Life's a Pitch um, but it was just like I'm going to say like Don did it means a lot to me and thank you both for including me this was awesome well absolutely and uh, you know we're, we're going to do this tribute uh, every year uh, going forward till uh, at least one of the three of us uh, gets planted six feet under so uh, we'll keep this tradition <laughs> going and uh, in, in Don's uh, name and in his honor. And uh, as we said last time, Steve, and as we said at the top, uh, so fitting to bring you in uh, for it here. Uh, very, very much so, because the way that you honor a man like Don Coster uh, is with some great baseball talk, something he would have enjoyed and something I know uh, he is enjoying uh, from another place far north of here. And uh, it wouldn't be the same without you being a part of it, Steve, so thank you. Well, again, I greatly appreciate it. It's an honor for you guys to ask me. I'm honored to be on, and I'm happy to do it in memory of Don Custer because it just sounds like uh, it would be the Beatles if he was around because uh, <laughs> I think we'd be four peas in the pod, but I enjoy doing Absolutely. this stuff, and I'm thrilled you guys asked me, and I'm happy to do it for as long as we can do it. Well, you know, uh, that with uh, Don, we'll have to put a bookmark in that one because uh, that's going to take until all three of us cross over to the other side, which uh, hopefully a long time in the future. I'm in no hurry, as I know you guys aren't. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when we do there, when they're taking the roll call at the pearly gates and the three of us are answering present and accounted for along with Don Coster, then you'll have that to look forward to, Steve. <laughs> in, the, in, in, the, in the meantime, we'll leave the light on for our good good friend Don Coster and uh, again just uh, a tribute uh, to a great man and and one that uh, Ken and I and uh, friends and family really loved a uh, great man and a great person to talk baseball with and uh, again that what what could be a better tribute than what we brought here with this taping today thank you guys for being a part of this and thank you everybody for tuning in to our second annual Don Coster Memorial Tribute and our preview of the 2019 MLB season mini episode number 1100 of the FDH Lounge. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel Affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IAmBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time 
Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements.